Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that we've already considered this morning as we've sung them and as we've heard them in your word. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of our Saviour, who is the Good Shepherd. We pray that this morning we'll have ears that listen to what you say. We pray that we'll have your spirit to enable us as we speak, as we listen, as we hear, and indeed afterwards to take on board those things that you might say to each of us as individuals. May your word speak this morning, we pray, to the glory of our Saviour. Amen. How's your hearing? I don't mean the volume of sound. That can be turned up. I mean, what are you learning of the voice of Jesus? Because we're looking at a very well-known parable today. Hopefully. That's it. Back now. Just a few, few illustrations of books that you might well have at home or have read your children or your grandchildren. You probably think, yeah, I know this story. It's a great bedtime story for children. I'm so familiar with it. It's very easy to think, because of familiarity, that there's nothing much we can learn from it. We know it so well. We're going to look at the situation that Jesus was speaking into, going to look at the parable that he told, and we're going to most importantly look at the significance of the point of the parable. Because when it comes to the context, the end of chapter 14, and of course there are no chapter divisions in the original, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then immediately goes on to the next bit of the passage. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. For us to truly hear the message, we need to ask ourselves, where do I fit into the story? So let's spend a bit of time thinking about it. The three groups of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. If you've been, if you've been a Christian for a while or you know anything much about the Gospels, you, you'll know that you'll be aware that Pharisees don't actually come in for a good press because they'd lost the plot. But some of us may be a bit closer to the Pharisees than we like to realize. You see, in terms of rule keeping and visible religious actions, they were on it. They prayed, they fasted, they even divvied up the garden produce to make sure that God had his fair share. They committed vast chunks of scripture to memory, and they liked to show that they were keeping on the right path, unlike those they despised as sinners. Which brings us to the next group. The sinners, of which tax collectors were a specific example, in the original language of the New Testament, the word sinner simply meant to deviate from the path. You might well have come across the illustration that's used a lot of an arrow misses the point because it's deviated from the path and it's missed the target. But it could be used for anyone 
deviating from a path. You're walking along and you wander off it and you miss the way. So it's used as anyone deviating from the right way of walking in God's way. Whereas the Pharisees like to think they kept to the straight and narrow on the path, they despise these sinners who made no pretense of trying to keep to the right way. So these are the first two. And just briefly mention, we'll think more of them later, of the disciples who were there, of course, listening to everything that Jesus was saying because they were already following him. So to help us engage a little more closely with the drama of the situation, consider the 21st century scenario. A well-known preacher is speaking at a conference in Red Ruth. There's an extended lunch hour, uh, giving free time in the afternoon. The conference attendees, uh, theological students, pastors, local church ministers, you know, were disappointed he didn't join them for lunch. So they had their lunch and wandered through the town and passing a pub, you notice that the smokers in the doorway aren't chatting, but they're looking back and listening to something that's going on in the pub. And as you pause and look through the doorway, you glimpse a conference speaker with a curled up sandwich in front of him and drinkers all around. A wide range of people from builders popping in for a quick pint of pint through to people with ASBO, that's anti-social behavior orders. The speaker was listening to their stories and sharing with them the hope of the gospel. The people in the pub were listening gladly. However, the delegate, conference delegates around you, observing through the doorway, were muttering, it's all very well, but has he got his priorities right? He's supposed to be here for the conference. I was really looking forward to some good discussion. I particularly wanted to ask him his views on obscure theology number 28. So where do we fit in the story at this point? Well, Jesus tells the story. So he tells the story because of the parables, but all of us to learn from them. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Imagine you're going to the Royal Cornwall show with a friend who has a prize animal that they want to show. It might be a horse or a bull or a sheep or even a turkey. For those of you who are visitors, that's a bit of an in-joke. In any event, Everything is ready when suddenly a friend rushes in exclaiming, it's gone, it's missing, it's not there, where is it? Everyone rushes out searching and calling until it's found. Imagine the joy and relief when it's found. Jesus told the second version of the same story about a woman losing a silver coin. We might think of times when we or someone we know has lost a mobile phone. Everybody searches and searches and searches. Oh, everybody's so happy when it's found. Well, that, Jesus explained, is the significance of the story. That's the point of the story. I tell you that in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. In the same way, rejoicing in heaven. Do you get that? Think about it. God's not frowning. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he doesn't say, you naughty sheep, running off. He bends down, he gently picks it up and carries it on his shoulder. Rejoicing in heaven. What's your view of heaven? God's happy. The angels are happy. We want to be with a happy God, don't we? So who is this shepherd? Listen to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Your Bible students will realize that the immediate context of Ezekiel, this refers to the regathering of the nation of Israel from exile. But Jesus picks up the terminology and applies it to himself as the good shepherd. He is the ultimate application. Jesus is the good shepherd. He searches. He calls. He carries. He restores. He gives life. We started by noting the context that whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So how do you identify with this parable? Remember those three groups we had at the beginning? I guess they're probably the same three groups in the congregation today. We'll start first with those who know you are sinners. You make no claim to living a life that is righteous. You make no claim to live a life that is pleasing to God. You recognize you're distant from him. You readily admit you're a sinner wandering from the right path. Be encouraged. This parable is for you. You can make heaven even happier than it is already for a sinner who repents. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. <clears throat> the call to repentance, dear lost sinner, isn't a call to start being religious. The call to repentance is an invitation to God's mercy. Have you ever had a satnav telling you that you've taken the wrong turn and had to go back that is repentance. Yes, it does. It must involve confessing you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. And maybe with specific sins, if God lays them on your heart, repentance does involve saying sorry to God and knowing the forgiveness that he gives. Unless we, if we haven't, if we haven't repented, then we will never know the joy of heaven. 
because there is forgiveness for those who confess. But repentance isn't simply a one-off. It's at heart a changed way of life, a new way of thinking. The life of repentance is a question of orientation. It's facing towards God instead of facing from him, turning our back on him. Because that's what we as sinners are doing, walking away from the path. We're turning our back on the Lord whose path it is. The grace of repentance, the life of repentance is walking back towards him. If that's you today, can you hear his voice? Understand this wonderful picture that John gives us, Jesus gave us in John reports in John 10. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. This is a beautiful illustration. The image is that of a communal sheepfold where several different flocks belonging to several different shepherds could all shelter together in a place of security overnight. In the morning, the shepherd comes to collect his flock. But they're all mingled together. How can he tell which are his sheep? That's well, very simple. He calls, and his sheep know his voice. They recognize his voice. If a stranger comes in and calls them, it doesn't work. Dear wandering sinner, so far from God, can you hear Jesus calling you? Can you hear him calling you by name? Come. But perhaps there are some today who don't recognize yourselves as sinners. Like the Pharisees, you say, I'm quite happy as I am, thank you. I I'm a pretty good kind of person. I give to charity. I don't harm anyone. What's all the fuss about? Well, friends, if that's your view this morning, the fuss is that we are made in the image of God. And one day, we will all stand before him. If we don't acknowledge him, now, he won't acknowledge us then. Understand that hearing the voice of Jesus isn't about coming to rules and regulations and ritual. Hearing the voice of Jesus is about coming into relationship. Who wouldn't want that relationship with the living God? Who is happy God? Who is joyful? And thirdly, no doubt there are many here today who identify with the disciples. You're already following Jesus. You've recognized that you were lost and have responded to the call of Jesus. You've confessed and known forgiveness. And you rejoice in that forgiveness through Jesus' blood. May your joy continue and increase this day. But there might be some who have turned to the Lord, who have given their lives to him and sought the relationship for whom the pressures of life have made us forget the joy you once had when first you knew the Lord. Or maybe some persistent sin has come between you and him, making you feel far from him. 
Maybe you do hear a voice, but it's not the Lord's voice, the voice telling you that God is angry with you. You've drifted too far. You've failed him one too many times, and there's no hope. That, friends, is not the voice of Jesus. Hear the voice of Jesus calling you back to him, not to rebuke you, but to welcome you back home. Whoever we are, do we have ears to hear? Please hear the voice of Jesus. He is actively seeking the lost. The Apostle Peter said that all of us like sheep have gone astray. May all of us hear the voice of Jesus and return to the shepherd of our souls. We're going to finish with a song that is it's a lot less bouncy, but is one to reflect on and helps us to respond to the voice of Jesus. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. So in the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You are weary, weary with not turning to the Lord. Come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Oh, sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us, whoever we are, however long we've known you, or if we don't even know you yet, Lord, we pray that all of us might hear your voice and draw closer to the wonderful shepherd of our souls. For we ask it in his name. Amen.